Sonic States. What's called? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 149. Um, we're going live, well, we're live now, uh, on Wednesday, the 7th of October, recording uh, via uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, four o'clock. Uh, there's a live chat room if you've not been there before. Perhaps you'd like to join us next week if you're a new listener. And if you aren't a new listener and you've already, uh, but you've never been there, go check it out, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4 p.m. on a Wednesday for the live chat and the live audio feed. You get to hear all the stuff that the lawyers make us take out. <laughs> Anyway, I'm joined on the line uh, by Mr. Angus Hewlett from F Expansion, who I believe is CEO of F Expansion. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, CEO in American, managing director in English, but uh, the boss to everyone else. <laughs> Excellent. And the reason we've got you on is because we've had several requests uh, for people to, uh, for, to for us to talk about the DCAM Synth Squad. I know we did an interview with you um, back. I would, would it have been at NAM earlier in the yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was NAM. When you were sort of showing us what it all did, and it was sort of yeah. nearly, I'm not sure how prior to the release you were, that would have been a while. When did it actually get released? Uh, we actually shipped in August, so it uh, it took a bit longer than we would have liked. It's amazing how long it takes to get from nearly finished to uh, finished these days. But uh, uh, yes, it shipped in in August. Yes, well, um, don't I know it? Yes, I'm always uh, always amazed at that, and I'm surprised that we can ever get anything out on time. But uh, that's just the way things go, isn't it? Morning. Hey, Rich. How you doing? I'm good. And you? Yeah, very well. Thanks. The red lights are blinking. It's all recording. I've got plenty of disk <laughs> space. Everything's going to be fine. Good. Uh, I've got uh, Angus Hewitt here, Hewlett here from uh, F Expansion, who's also, also on the line. Going to join us because we're going to talk about the DCAM synth squad. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. Hey, Angus, how you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yourself? Good. I watched all your videos this morning and really, really enjoyed it. Was very impressed. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Nice product, man. I'm very interested. Yes. Welcome, Rich Hilton from Sunny Connecticut. Uh, Rich Hilton, of course, is a Grammy-winning recording engineer, producer, keyboard player. Been, uh, gosh, I mean, done so much and so many things. Multi-platinum discs, director of studio operations for nearly thirty years at various places, design studios, work with big directors, Ford Coppola, William Friedkin, John Landis, Ridley Scott. The list goes on. Uh, welcome, Rich. Thank you. Always good to be here. Well, it's always good to have you with us. Have you had a good week? Yeah, I have. Excellent. Very nice. That was a little clip from one of the demos of Amber, called Glowing Circus. I enjoyed that very much. Um, Angus, you'll be able to tell us a bit more about this. I'm going to um, have a go at um, talking about it now. Uh, it's basically three elements, right? Strobe, Cypher, and Amber, and also the, uh, what's the kind of... Fuser uh, that brings them all fuser, together. The sort of, which is kind of like a combinator kind of thing, isn't it? You can run three instances and, and patches and yes. all sorts of things in with it. So how would you yeah. describe, uh, given a top line, how would you describe the DCAM Synth Squad? Uh, they are fantastic sounding, really musical, circuit modelled analog synths. Um, this is becoming more than one line, terrible. But um, basically, what, basically, what we did, uh, we figured out how to do uh, the sort of circuit modelling of all the analog components, and then rather than doing a straight emulation of a particular vintage design, we kind of looked at various, if you like, classes, categories of synth, yeah. and said, well, what would be what would somebody build today, given these components and given this sort of uh, design brief for a synth? So, for instance, for strobe, what we were looking to do is build the ideal kind of bass and lead, simple, straightforward uh, synth. So it's you know very easy to use, very quick to program. Mm -hmm. You know, along the lines of like uh, an SH101, Moog Prodigy Pro One, those kind of small, compact, um, one-off synths. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with, with kind of lots of Kind of tricks above and beyond uh, what they would have uh, shipped with back in the seventies. Um, Amber, we did the same thing, but it's obviously a string machine. And then Cipher is more of a like a big, big poly kind of synth with audio rate modulation. There's a bit of bit of uh, modular synth in there, so we sort of looked at things like the MS20, the Expander, 
those those sorts of things. Right. Uh, so when you when you say component model, I mean, how do you what what do you, what are you saying? You you kind of chose the filter circuits from one thing, or you know, are we talking even more granular than that? Uh, no, we model right down to the level of the individual components. So DCAM is discrete component analog modeling, which means basically we're modeling at the level of the individual circuit components, so resistors, capacitors, um, you know, op amps, inductors, those kind of things, uh, rather than some of the other analog modeling technologies out there. They more treat the filter circuit as a black box, and they, you know, they put something in and they look at what comes out, uh, but they don't really try to model and understand what's right, going on right. inside the circuit. Um, but you get much more musical and consistent results. No, no, that, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm just kind of curious how, because obviously you're, you're doing it to the component level, but obviously yeah. each synth is different. So if you're taking yeah. one element from another one, you've sort of got to interface between them because obviously they operate at different voltages, they have different polarities and different resistors and, you know, feeds out of one filter. Into, that's just so you're almost kind of getting down to re-engineering a synthesizer from building blocks. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I mean, there are commonalities in the circuit designs between different synths. You know, there are only, well, there are certain circuits that are kind of known circuits, and yes, the component values will be different between one synth that uses that circuit and another. They're kind of running off the same principles, and they'll have a lot of uh, a lot of similarities. But yeah, basically, we built our own synth circuits from from scratch, more or less. Ah, oh, wow. So, um, sounds like an awful lot of work. I mean, it was because I mean, we yeah. first saw something at uh, NAM this year where um, it was pretty much there, wasn't it? I mean, but I'm guessing what have you been doing since then? Kind of optimizing for CPU load and stuff? Because I would imagine if you're component modeling things, I mean, the CPU load's going to be quite an issue. Yeah, uh, yeah, on- it is. I mean, we've had to. That's that's why it's uh, Intel only. We've basically had to optimize it all into assembly code and use like SSE and all of this stuff on the latest uh, latest chips. So it it requires SSD2, and it requires an Intel processor because there's a lot of work to do that, and to do that all over again for um, for PowerPC as well, it's just not going to be not going to be doable. I, I say Intel; it will actually work on the newer AMD processors as well. Oh, I see. So it's it's, it's purely Intel processor. It's not going to bother with um, you're not going to no PowerPC support. But I mean, no, we're that's not, not doing not doing PowerPC. No. But then Apple just dropped PowerPC support anyway, didn't they? They did, yeah. So what the um, heck? But a lot of a lot of a lot of well, a lot of musicians. I mean, a lot of people are still using PowerPC machines. So if we'd been able to do it and keep the CPU load reasonable and you know stay on time and on budget, we we would have done that. But um, but no, unfortunately, it's not. Uh, just not doable. I'm just going to go and get Mark because he's shown up. Uh, Mark Tinley. Um, let me just go and grab him. Mark Tinley um, just joined us, um, just dashed in a bit, a little bit uh, after the show started, but great to have you aboard, Mark. AutismHero.com, sound designer extraordinaire and a proud temporary owner of the Korg microsampler. I am. <laughs> Mark, we're, um, we're just got, we were just talking to, uh, to Angus from F-Expansion about the Decam Synth Squad uh, software, which I don't know if you've had a chance to check out. I was looking at it just now, actually. It looks quite exciting, actually. It does. Well, um, Angus was telling us about kind of what it actually, uh, what what the various elements are. I mean, obviously, we've got uh, the sort of mono synth, the polysynth, and the ensemble kind of string synthesizer. Would that be a fair way of putting it, Angus? Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, Stroke's not a monosynth as such. It's a one-osc synth, but it was modelled on, it was based on monosynths, but uh, we've, uh, we've made it poly. Uh, but yeah, basically, we've got a kind of a small synth, a big synth, and a string synth. I guess, yeah. Cool. Right, that's that sorted out. So, um, Rich, um, did you have a chance to check out any of these synths? I mean, I I, I checked out. So, I've obviously seen the demos from uh, Nam, and I think I was it was me who filmed it. So, I've had first hand um, knowledge of it uh, and checked out the videos, which are very good, by the way, Angus. I really like the way they're oh, put together. Uh, I think that's Rosa in the chat room, is it not? Uh, that is Rosa and uh, MMFX as well in the chat room. Uh, Rosa does our videos. Uh, MM uh, writes all the manuals, and uh, both of those guys did a lot of the demo tracks. I unfortunately don't. Well, I don't have the talent to do demo tracks, so I leave it to those guys. <laughs> better, better at writing code than writing music. What can I say? Oh, so you are you kind of um, hands-on nuts and bolts coding for this, or were you, was there a team of you guys working on it? Uh, yeah, basically most of the code on this one was uh, was me and one other guy. We've kind of got. 
there's kind of like a pool of developers who sort of work on the framework stuff and we kind of share a lot of code uh, between us but most of the dev for the synth squad was uh, was myself and uh, andrew simper who did all the dsp side um he's also got his own company cytomic who do the glue compressor um which you should definitely oh is that the one that's market. bus compressor type of, yeah right yeah. yeah 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 so he's he's kind of the circuit modeling guy so he's uh he's kind of uh done that on his own as well for the the glue compressor so you should should uh, check that out if you're into uh, compressors and things. Cause I think uh, I think we ran a news item on that some time back. I looked at it and uh, it did it did uh, it's nicely described and nice nicely put in. Actually, I'll check that out because it wasn't that expensive. I seem to remember either. Hmm. Oh no, no, it's like a hundred bucks or something. So one of the things that really kind of uh, I dug was the chorus uh, emulation. I noticed uh, in the uh, in the amber, which is the kind of modelled string synth divide down um, string machine, mm-hmm. uh, you've got a seventy five. 1975 chorus, a 1981, and a 1984. Would you care to uh, elaborate on what those models? Any of those, the Boss CE1 style? Uh, well, let's see. The 1984 is modelled on a Roland chorus unit. It wasn't. It wasn't the the CE1, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a Roland style chorus unit. I think it's closest to a probably closest to a Juno. Ah, uh, okay. Um, on the 1984, the 1981. Uh, we looked at a Korg uh, Poly 6 for that. Oh, yeah, that's got a nice, uh, um, nice chorus as well. And the 1975 or 1978, I forget. What it is 75. That. 75, that is, um, that's an ARP, so it's an Omni or a Selena or something like that. Okay, and these are these are all modelled. There's no samples in, in uh, any of these, is that right? No, no samples at all. It's all completely circuit modelled, yeah. And what, I mean, were you getting kind of good, what sort of um, polyphony are you getting out, say, of a, a you know, standard desktop or a, a, you know, a laptop? What, are you, what kind of CPU hunger is it? Because I noticed you can change the oversampling, we thought was quite mm. a cool idea. Tell me a bit about that. Um, okay, so if you put it on one times oversampling, um, right, bear, bear in mind that this is all on, the, the figures I'll quote at you will be all one core of a processor. So if you've got yeah. an eight core, you'll still only be using an eighth of your computer. So the latest, uh, latest build of strobe, um, on one core of my eight core, 2.8 gigahertz machine, uh, I got just over a hundred voices of strobe at one times over sampling 44 K. Right. Um, but if you're running, you know, if you're running in a host, um, you know, some, some of the big fuser patches on one core of that machine, you might only get, eight voices because you know they are you can stack the synth up with this sort of unison you know we've got this split unison mode right uh where each voice each note of the keyboard you play is actually triggering maybe two three four voice channels in the synth uh, and if you stack that up and then have you know uh three instances of cypher inside a fuser with some effects then by the time you're running in a host even on a fast machine on a single core you might only get eight voices Right. So because it's very scalable from like the smallest to the biggest, it's hard to kind of give a one size fits all. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I mean, I think, I think also one of the things must be it's because obviously the better it's going to be, the more CPU hungry it's likely to be. So, I mean, you've got to, you've got to kind of make that kind of judgment call. You've got to say, well, look, we want it to sound a certain way. So that's just the way it's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, you know, we, we, we do things to last kind of quite a few years in the market. So, by, by and large, we, we kind of figure if something's a bit on the CPU heavy side when it comes out, we've probably got the design right because we're not going to completely redesign it for maybe three or four years. And by that time, you know, the what's a what's a very fast machine yeah, yeah, now is a bog standard cheapy machine in in eighteen months time. So right, so that's kind of uh, where we go with that. And yeah, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of CPU efficient, average sounding synths out there. So we wanted to do something a bit different. Well, it sounds like you certainly have. So, um, I, I ought to give it a plug for the price. Uh, let me just see where we are, where we got to. Yes, it was uh, uh, two hundred forty-nine US dollars, one hundred eighty-nine euros, and one hundred and fifty-seven UK pounds. Which you, can you buy that online at your store, or is it box? Are you boxing it up? Or how are you doing? It? Uh, both. So you can buy it online and download it straight away. You can buy it and have it shipped in a box, or you can go to the music store and buy it there. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Angus. Um, I hope you're going to stick around and uh, contribute to some of our other topics uh, if, you, if you have the time. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to uh, duck away from the from the screen a bit and get the keyboard and uh, answer a few of these guys in the chat room. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly chip in. Um, incidentally, are any of you guys going to AES? Uh, we aren't going to AES this time. We were sort of umming and ahhing about it for ages, but then um, it's just the price and we weren't really sure that there was going to be a whole bunch of stuff there for us to uh, deal with. So we decided, okay, so plus it's actually my birthday on the Sunday. So I didn't really fancy staying at home and editing video all day <laughs> on my birthday, which is no, a really totally. rubbish excuse actually. But, uh, <laughs> but the answer is no, uh, we're not, unless we have a very, very last minute um, kind of change of heart. What about you? Are you going over? Uh, I'm going over. We're not exhibiting this year. Um, so I'll just be uh, wandering the halls with uh, Terry, our US sales manager, and a laptop and a couple of the reps. Um, we'll have yeah, a lovely time down at the Javits Centre. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, my fly out tomorrow. Oh, brilliant. We'll have a lovely time. So I'll uh, be there. Oh, Rich, you're going to go, are you? Yeah, of course. Well, I'll probably be Love hanging it. out on the, on the Muse Research booth. So uh, drop by there. I'll probably be around. I'd love to say hello, Angus. Thank you. Wow, brilliant. Well, Rich, if you see anything cool there, you'll have to uh, send something over <laughs> or tell us about it. I'm We've hoping got, I will. We, uh, for those of you who didn't, we did talk about the um, the Eigenharp last week, and obviously on Monday the Eigenharp was released. Uh, one of our uh, – Andy, in fact, went up and filmed the whole uh, affair. He got the, the big presentation, and he got an interview with John Lambert as well. I wondered if anyone had a chance to check that out. I know it only went up late last night. We now know a bit more about what it is. I just wondered if anybody had any different uh, feelings about it. Um, it's obviously – I'll just sort of summarise – there's two, there's two models. Uh, there's the Alpha, which is uh, a whopping 3,950 quid. And there's the Pico, which looks quite interesting, which is 395 quid. And it looks like what it is is a controller linked by some kind of extra long USB type adapter to a host computer, which at present is only Mac. And that houses a modular synth uh, software, also VST, AU kind of host so, and sequencer. So you could do a whole bunch of stuff with it. How about you, Angus? Did you get a chance to see that? The Eigenhop, um, I've talked, I talked to one of the developers on it a little bit, um, but I've just seen the kind of teaser video with the, with the, uh, blinky lights and buttons. So, um, so uh, tell me that's something quite interesting. Will something that can generate such massively high resolution controller data be compatible with, um, software instruments or is the resolution internally to them fixed to, you know, a particular number of steps? Um, well, I mean, our resolution in terms of what's available to MIDI is limited to the MIDI specification, which is kind of pretty limited. Uh, but there's no reason why we can't talk something like OSC to to the Eigenharp uh, if, if if they want to do that. It's um, unfortunately there aren't there isn't really a decent standard for doing this stuff at, at high resolution. But the synths are certainly capable of responding to it if we can find a way to talk to devices that are generating it. That is quite a work of art, the Alpha. It does look kind of amazing. It's like a sort of very ornate um, bassoon stroke cricket bat type thing. Let's see. It's a yeah. bit, of, um, bit of double bass in there as well. Yeah. I don't know. 4,000 quid. Oh, yeah, it is a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. Uh, let me see where oh, Mark's gone offline. Right, okay. Um, let's play uh, the Novation Launchpad because that's a very interesting new item. So that was a, a, the official promo video from the Novation Launchpad, which is this kind of, it's very much like a monomy, I think, or monome, I'm not sure how you spell it, 64 buttons, backlit, dedicated uh, Ableton Live controller. Looks like they've really kind of uh, stolen a march there, 200 bucks. That's pretty amazing. What do you think, Rich? Did you check that out? Yes, I did. I watched uh, the videos the day it came out. And uh, for people, once you get this, th I was really impressed with the amount of things you could control and do with this thing just in real time, running it from its own buttons without ever touching the computer. And uh, it looks to me like a different kind of alternative and perhaps a lower cost alternative to the Akai controller that was released previously. But uh, it really looks kind of great. 
in that demo video, and the guy who's operating it is really comfortable. Yeah, it. it's Jesus, really it's like bionic, isn't he? I mean, it's it, that, that yeah. is incredible. I reckon they sped it up a bit. I mean, I don't see how anybody could play it that fast. <laughs> oh no, but you could see him in real time with the music playing, changing all the functions and the modes, and programming drum beats and triggering off, uh, you know, clips as they call them, and it was pretty darned impressive. That said. Yeah. I am no fan of Novation's Automap software and would not consider using it for pri- probably anything else, as much as they say that it's compatible. Okay, but this thing, I mean, because the, uh, the Monome is is something that's been out for quite some time, but it's much more sort of, uh, what would you call, boutique. And uh, I was checking out the Monome to see, you know, what was going on there, because it's it's directly in competition with that, In the, apart from the fact that it's got integrated Ableton uh, sort of compatibility. But the Monome is currently not in production, and there's a new batch of 264 buttons, which is the same as this launch pad, is not available until January 2010, and that's also uh, 500 bucks. But I imagine it's probably, it's more custom-made and m- more probably, or might be a higher build quality, I don't know, because I would imagine that this is going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, mass-produced. But it looks pretty cool. I have to say, and two hundred bucks—that is—I don't know how they do that, Angus. I mean, is this? Are you a live user? All your videos show that uh, all your uh, plugins running in live. So I'm guessing you must be familiar with it. Oh, I'm certainly certainly familiar with it. I don't I don't get as much time to make music as I'd like. So I tend to just uh, muck about in um, in uh, Guru and Bidul and Pro Tools mostly. But uh, a lot of the guys here use use live, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of excitement here about the uh, about the launchpad, definitely. I, I was thinking of buying a monome a couple of years back, but it was it was like, well, okay, you've got to wait four months until stuff's available, and then put in an order, and then if your name's at the top of the list, you'll get. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> think they're really a commercial concern in the same way that uh, Novation are. Um, and yeah, I think I think they'll do very well. I mean, I suspect now, unfortunately, that uh, even less so because this is going to just eat into their customer base. I'd imagine, and and you know, well spotted Novation, absolutely spot on it does look yeah, like because re- i mean as well definitely. as the 64 by um, 8 by 8 matrix you've got another is it 10 additional buttons for changing modes and all this kind of business and it looks yeah absolute- the shift keys. yeah because that was kind of missing from the, from the mono um i did a little bit of um sort of uh prototypey things with just i was mucking around with ideas for what we might do with a with a mono controller and the real one of the real kind of downers was because you don't have any shift keys on it Right, you kind of you end up eating into the eight by eight grid to get any kind of shift functionality, um, and I think it was a very smart move on Novation's part to put the the eight extra buttons along the top and the eight down the sides to uh, shift to shift modes on the on the eight by eight grid. I think that's a I think that's a smart move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you just have to get a sixteen by sixteen, or a, there's there's they do some enormous yeah, ones, don't they? They are expensive. They, they do. I mean, they actually even the even the sixteen by sixteen is not that enormous physically because um, the the eight by eight monom is is really really small. I, I saw one actually in the flesh a couple of weeks back, and they are extremely well made, but they're they're tiny little things. You oh, know, really? they're they're not much. They're they're bigger than a bigger than a CD case, say, but but not by much. They're a lot. They're a lot smaller than they. There was um, what's that? Imogen Heap was doing something on Letterman. Uh, I think it was Letterman, and uh, oh yeah, she was playing a monome. She had one in her lap as well as playing the piano and uh, controlling Ableton. She did the whole show live from it. It was quite interesting, actually. Um, so I'm guessing she might be interested in Novation Launchpad. Well, while we're on the subject of the uh, Launchpad, I think the other the other thing that's really really nice about it because, like I say, a couple a couple of the guys here are kind of bugging me to get a few for the office. It's bus powered, which the Akai thing is not. So you can literally plug it, you know, straight into the laptop, and you don't have to worry about an external. Ah, that's a smart move. That is yeah. a smart move. I mean, most obviously, most MIDI controllers are bus powered nowadays. I was kind of, I was surprised when I found out the Akai one wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, the the Novation is, it, and it looks like it should be really light as well. I don't know. It looks like it would slip nicely into a laptop bag. But uh, I still can't get through to Mark. I think he's rebooting by the looks of him. Um, okay, well, let's just quickly, the bullet points are dedicated Ableton live modes. Uh, you've got shortcuts to different areas of Ableton control window, including session view, mixer, and instrument racks. And the session overview mode, which allows the user to jump around eight 
channel sections of the live session, allowing for easy navigation of larger configurations. Um, it's been uh, somebody in the chat room said that they see, they pre-ordered it and it only paid 175 bucks. One thing that was also quite interesting is they sent it out to um, to the US first. I know Create Digital Music and Craig Anderson got uh, got copies of this before anybody else, and it's quite interesting the way that products are now seem to be being launched purely through websites and blogs and sort of not going through traditional channels. It's quite a quite a, a shift in terms of PR and publicity. We're hoping to get one of a hold of one for a review ourselves as soon as possible. I think maybe this is a good time to do an ad while uh, while Mark is uh, perhaps um, rebooting his system. That might be a good plan. So uh, I'd like to introduce our sponsor for the show this week, uh, and that is in the form of loopmasters.com. They're the number one website and sample CD distrib- distributor dedicated to bringing you the most inspirational collections of royalty-free sounds and samples from some of the top producers worldwide. They come in all sorts of formats. You've got loops, you've also got multi-tracks, you've got Rex files, all kinds of things. What we've got this week are a couple of new packs for you to check out, some free samples. Uh, so if you want to, if you want to have a hold of that, get hold of those, email freestuff at sonicstate.com and follow the instructions. You'll be redirected to their website and also given the option to sign up for their newsletter, which should obviously be great because uh, then you'll know about how many releases they're, they're bringing on board. And there is a lot of stuff. So if you're ever looking for inspiration, need some loops, check out loopmasters.com. And while you're at it, check out looptv.net, which is their video podcast site. And it's an online video resource looking at the current DJ and club industry from producers' viewpoint. Uh, they take you behind the scenes of some of the best club dance electronic music makers on the planet. This month, there's an interview with new jazz and broken beat duo, The Part-Time Heroes, and Zombie breakbeat gurus evil nine uh, rob jones also shows you ways to increase your reason power using the matrix sequencer to modulate the dr rex player uh, there's a bunch of other stuff besides so head over to looptv.net and see what they've got in their fabulous podcast it's a video podcast uh, and once again thank you very much to loopmasters.com for their sponsorship of the show uh, and remember if you want the free stuff email free stuff at sonicstate.com and follow the instructions I'm Moldover, and I'm happy to announce the release of my very first all-original album. I've been working on this music for a long time, and I wanted to create some really special artwork to go with it. With the help of some new friends here in San Francisco, I learned how to design custom circuit boards. Check it out! All the track titles and the album artwork are actually written in circuitry. It holds a CD right in the middle. It fits in a regular CD case. And it's actually a musical instrument. If you press this button here, it makes sound. And you can change the sound by playing with these two light sensors. It even has a headphone jack, so you can plug it in and record your own tracks. Rock out on the train? No, seriously, though. What is that? Or pump it through a sound system. That was the release from Moldover, and he's done a funky, groovy thing, actually, which is to create his own piece of, uh, well, it's kind of almost like a work of art. It's like an interactive CD cover. Uh, Mark is back again. I'm going to give him another go. Hey, Mark. Ah, hello. Anyway, we now moved on to the Moldova um, CD. And this that is, was very exciting. Uh, well, I thought it was br- I just utterly brilliant. I just, the first, as soon as it got to the end, I just went and bought it, albeit I bought completely the wrong thing. So I've had to email him and ask him if I can send him the difference to buy the right thing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm quite happy to spend, I mean, I thought, bloody hell, $12, that's cheap. So I just clicked on it immediately. But I'm actually still quite happy to spend $60 on it because it's completely unique and brilliant, utterly brilliant. And it's a bit like the Tara Bush thing, which is still hanging on my wall unopened, actually. Sorry, me too. No, me too. I'm waiting for everyone else to open theirs before I open mine. Well, I haven't opened opened mine yet. Um, So, you know, in terms of, so I just, I've, I've ordered it because I think it would, you know, I can see myself having a collection of these sorts of things. It could be a really, it could be a really interesting sort of thing to collect couldn't it all these strange acoustical devices that go almost like works of art with the record that Mm. they go along with because the the music 
buying music's fairly meaningless now, isn't it? I mean, he's basically said go and yep. download the music for free, but here's yep. you know this little device that you can buy, and it's well, an added it's value, train, isn't it? I suppose. Playing it, it's such a cool little YouTube clip. I know, Rich, can you see yourself applying yourself to sort of your skills to outside of uh, the, uh, you know, what you normally do to try and help uh, send a product on its way by kind of going, hey, I've got a really cool idea for some packaging or whatever. I mean, what do you think? Well, I certainly have great respect for these folks like Moldova and like Tara, who have tried to combat the, uh, the impending obsolescence of physical product by uh, coming up with very, very creative ways to package and market their own. And uh, I think that's brilliant. Am I well-suited to that? I'm not sure. But uh, in other words, I would never have come up with what Moldover came up with, and I'm really impressed and think it's wonderful. So uh, it's interesting in this age where it's harder and harder to sell anything physical in terms of entertainment product that they've uh, come up with these brilliant ways, these brilliant ideas that lead you to post them on your wall and not open them. <laughs> but then you have to buy two. So you buy one, you buy the uh, regular um, digital version so you can listen to it. If I understand correctly, she hasn't got any more. No, if no, they were limited. The album, these were in the one you've got. Um, <laughs> no, the, the limited edition Tara ones, but I think Moldova, you can still buy the stuff via Amazon and uh, iTunes and eMusic, uh, etc. Um, Rosa, Rosa, Rosa says in the chat room, does it, but yeah, but does it generate enough uh, uh, to cover the extra cost? Well, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I imagine. But who cares? It's so brilliant. It doesn't matter. Well, maybe not. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> he's being an art. He's being a true artist. Well, I like, I like what you say. Angus, can you kind of see the, 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 the way of applying this perhaps to uh, software releases? So you do a kind of box set of decam with some kind of hardware niftiness, or is it just way too much hassle? I, I don't I don't think software has the same kind of uh, it's it's not the same kind of product as as music so I, I think software is in in a lot of ways it's best if it stays software for the most for the most part I mean um, I I do like um, what a lot of artists have been doing in terms of things like you know limited edition box sets and doing this kind of uh, high value physically packaged uh, versions of stuff kind of in response to the sort of commodity market for the physically packaged 9.99 cd is just completely dying i think i yeah i mean personally i think i'd in some ways much rather have kind of a few high value albums by the bands i really like i mean you know i, I used to buy i used to buy enormous amounts of uh, cds and a lot of them i would say were only quite good you know and probably now i've you know, got short of space in the flat. I threw all the boxes away, and I just keep them in a big uh, CD wallet. And you kind of think, what's the what's the point in some ways? But I do like these. You know, I do like uh, like what, for example, Porcupine Porcupine Tree are doing with you know double vinyl releases of the albums and Radiohead again. Uh, and I mean, this just uh, takes the whole concept. Even even further, I mean, I think it's brilliant. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm guilty. I took all my entire CD collection, uh, digitised it on iTunes, and then found one little place up in the eaves of my uh, uh, my stairwell that I could fit a little L, two little L shaped sh- uh, shelves that put all my CDs on that will probably just stay there forever, and I can't reach most of them. But uh, I've still got them. I can't bring myself to actually get rid of them all. <laughs> I gave mine away. I just stuck a message on Facebook and said, who wants a couple of hundred CDs? And one of my friends said, yeah, I'm really into music. And I was like, okay, well, so am I, but I don't want the physical, you know, CDs anymore. So I just, I actually drove over to his house and gave them to him. Free delivery and free CDs. Yep. Wow. What a generous guy. Did you do it on that uh, mean hog of motorcycle or did you uh, take it in the car? No, they wouldn't have gone on there. That would have been pretty fun. I could just picture you with a sort of big bag on your back going over all these bumps with no suspension, sort of spilling CDs <laughs> left, right, left and right along, along, along the road. You know what a rotavator is, right? One I of do, those yes. things you hold the handles and it digs up the garden. Yeah. I took the mean hog of a motorcycle down a country lane last Friday and it was like try, trying to bloody uh, mow the uh, to rotivate the garden, I could barely hold on to it. <laughs> it's an evil beast, it is. It's very much, it's just for show. It's just for riding out on very and flat. And forget speed humps. There's a village where East School is that has speed humps all the way through, and every hump I go over, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> big shower of sparks. So, Oops. 
I have to plan journeys really quite carefully, <laughs> but it sounds brilliant. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I think actually you should do us a recording and we can hear it perhaps next week. I want to hear those cylinders popping away. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure if I've got anything that can handle the sound pressure. Level. Sound pressure yeah. <laughs> really? It's got to be kicking out about 120 dB. There's no padding paddy enough to, to handle your motorcycle. <laughs> I don't think I'll do, be able to do it on the Zoom. Maybe I can just do the Zoom at a you know, five-meter distance or something, pointing in the other direction. Yeah, <laughs> that might work. Put it under a pillow. <laughs> I tried the iPhone in my pocket. That sort of worked, but... Not quite. Uh, yeah. Go away. Oh. <laughs> Child trouble. Child trouble. <laughs> hey, Nick, the regarding the marketing of music using unusual packaging and add-ons and things of that nature, does anybody see a marketing uh, kind of analogy to what a lot of companies, say Digidesign and M-Audio, are doing now where they sell you a, a small, cheap piece of hardware that's a controller, and with it, they give you the software or some little tiny feature crippled teaser version of the software uh, like they're doing now with microphones and keyboards over at M audio. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And, and why not? I mean, it's kind of, you know, if you can leverage your hardware into copy protection, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. And I would say that is, I mean, and, 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 and I guess, I mean, this is something that, you know, Angus, you must kind of wrestle with all the time. I mean, you've got to deal with copy protection. I mean, if you did make hardware, wouldn't you be tempted just to kind of tie it in with that? It would make perfect sense, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. If we, if we did make hardware, I mean, I think that what, uh, M audio digital are doing there is more kind of making stuff really convenient for novice new users. Um, you know, yep. I mean, they're going to, they're going to sell these things for almost nothing to a huge number of people. Um, you know, we'd rather, I guess, kind of stick with a more expert end of the audit audience, you know, people who've maybe used that for a couple of years and then moved on to something a bit more, a bit more sophisticated. Um, I don't think when we're, you know, we're a small company, we're not set up to cater for um, 10 million customers who can barely sing a note or, or tune their <laughs> guitar, you know. Um, but I think it's, it's great that there are things that are really easy for those kind of people to use. Yeah, very diplomatically put. Agreed. <laughs> and and to a large extent, it's a huge, it's a little tiny software carrot on a stick hung off the end of this piece of hardware that says you're gonna, they're, they're betting you're going to like using it and want to get the real deal or at least the LE version or something. It's pretty much a full Pro Tools LE, isn't it, that it comes with or not, not far no, off? No, empowered. It's an empowered version, which is oh, slightly okay. different. And even yeah. then, there's only like a small number of plugins you can get or use, and there's only a small number of sends on it. And it, it's, yeah. it's uh, as I said, somewhat feature crippled, which gives it that carrot kind of vibe where they're trying to entice you into wanting more from it. Well, yeah, as, and, and also as, as software becomes more and more complex, you know, once you've kind of gone down the route of learning one, you just think, can I really be bothered to learn a totally different way of working? I mean, we've all been there well, where we've had to, but, you know, not generally these days. I'm sorry. I'm talking specifically about LE versions like Ableton's been doing for years and Logic has Logic Express. Yeah. And uh, pretty much Cubase has some kind of Cubase light that they give away with various pieces of hard. You know, they sell to your gift to people to give away with the hardware. So it's all that software carrot thing, you know, try to get people. Yeah. Oh, um, Rich C in the chat room says it's Pro Tools Essential. It's not even empowered. It's a different, right. it's, in fact, it's a totally new oh, okay. version of uh, yeah, yeah. Pro Tools, isn't it? In fact, didn't they used to give away Pro Tools free and it was a four track or eight track version? Eight track, yes. yeah, they did, yeah. And some people hacked it and turned it into Pro Tools free with an unlimited number of tracks. Did after they? That, I so. never got hold of that. I, all I remember is that yeah. it was really useful sometimes for. Um, dissecting Pro Tools sessions, and as long as the eight, as long as the tracks you wanted were the first eight tracks in the session, uh, I, I, it's a long time ago now. But uh, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you've got to make this stuff accessible, otherwise, people aren't going to be able to access it. I mean, right. why they didn't not? own a hardware company at that point, so they didn't have that hook. I'm not sure. I think they did. Yeah, they were, I mean, but anyway, they, yeah. they, they had the big Pro Tools hardware, but they didn't have no. They, I they, mean, the, yeah, yeah, audio stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, I, I should have been more specific. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And I think the other thing there is is a lot of the target audience for this kind of thing, you know, if you're asking them to pick their hardware and software separately, that's probably, you know, that's probably quite a, a, a kind of challenge. Yeah, um, maybe for new users. For, for but when you want to say, yeah. look, this works, you know, you buy this interface and this software and it all just works together and it's kind of 
guaranteed to work and you don't have to configure your computer. You just install it and go. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, I guess music technology used to be just for pretty technical people and now it's for absolutely everyone. And most of the people buying this stuff will not be, you know, particularly computer literate maybe and, and don't want to be. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. plus being able to say that you're selling them a version of the industry standard whatever yep. um, as a function of selling them an $89 micro USB microphone yeah, you know, <laughs> is a pretty effective way to sell a microphone, too. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely. definitely. Okay, well, uh, we've strayed a little bit from the original topic, but uh, it's yeah. all well and good. Um, but anyway, Moldova's new album, you can go and check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Buy it from uh, iTunes, Amazon, eMusic. And it's 9 bucks for the digital download, 50 bucks for the circuit board. And I think he's sold out of everything else. So you either get the digital or the physical, and that's it. Okay, um, right, who wants to go? We've got two topics left. We've got the Esquivel and other psychedelic lounges, and we've got the new ribbon mic. What do you think? Uh, I don't know, Rich. You said you were researching like mad. I'm wondering whether this was one of the topics you were researching rather than the ribbon mic, because it's the one of the only ones left that probably needed researching from your point of view. I watched the Esquivel thing, but I, I don't have a lot to say about it. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe we'll hold that one off for the time being, if everybody's cool with that. Nothing wrong with it. I just didn't. It didn't inspire any enormous flood of inspiration. It just made me listen to the Andrews sisters. Oh, really? Well, that's not a bad thing, as I said. Well, maybe <laughs> we'll do that another time because I was trying to figure out. To be honest, when I when I when I had the idea for this topic, I thought uh, of something else, and when I came to write it down, I couldn't remember what the link was between it all because I thought there might be some sort of gear link in there that they were sort of pioneers with certain techniques. And I know Esquivel certainly was, but uh, maybe we'll thin it down a little bit to just Esquivel for next week. And in that case, let's go on to the new ribbon mics. Two new ribbon mics from Audio Technica, which are bidirectional active ribbon mics. And this ribbon mics are kind of one of those uh, types of microphones that seem to have come a long way since the early days. I mean, I guess the old RCAs, the sort of what you'd see. Is it, um, what's the name of the guy on um, US TV that has, is it Larry King? Has a ribbon, RCA ribbon mic? Oh, he might have one in front of him. I'm in front, not sure yeah, I don't think same, he uses but, it. But I don't think you're hearing it, right? No, I'm they pretty like sure. the way they look. They have that cool old look, the squared off thing. They seem to have kind of become very, very fashionable recently. And uh, obviously, Audio Technica have uh, kind of capitalized on that. And there's a couple of other people that make them. Sontronics make a ribbon mic, which traditionally, ribbon mics have always been quite delicate and something that you can't or put in front of a drum. And now they've kind of got much more uh, robust. And Sontronics have made one called the Delta, which they say is fine for using live, you know, like guitar amps and stuff. And I just wondered, I mean, Rich, you're probably the most qualified recordist amongst us. I wonder whether you use any ribbons, and if so, you know, why? And what makes them great, if indeed you think they are at all? Well, I do think they are uh, for certain things. And they have a really nice, desirable warmth at their best and can withstand fairly high sound pressure levels, as evidenced by the fact that people tend to stick them in front of brass instruments quite a lot. You'll see them in front of trumpets and trombones very often. I've had both, I've had mixed success in trying them in unconventional ways. Uh, I had a somewhat somewhat stark, horrible experience using them over a drum kit on a project that Mark and I worked on together. And I'll never do that again. But... um, (laughs) But although somebody's going to write to me and say that they had fantastic results doing it, I think that the popularity of ribbon mics or the rekindling of the popularity of ribbon mics, being that it is about the oldest microphone technology we've got, like one short step after like charcoal, I think, came ribbon mics. Um, I think the popularity is due uh, also to the fact that we're all recording to DAWs now and not to tape. And so the additional warmth and the very smooth kind of high-frequency presentation is somewhat more suited to the medium, which is in itself somewhat uh, less colored in the top frequencies to begin with. I mean, Uh, than than was tape, for example. Now, they were very popular with tape, too. I mean, but I think part of the resurgence of these things has to do with the fact that they'll sound good in front of a DAW because what they do well is what DAWs don't necessarily do well, which is be warm and full sounding and, you know, as you like to say, fulsome. Hmm. So that's my uh, little treatise on these. And uh, as relates to these particular microphones, I have always been a price performance fan of Audio-Technica mics. Um, I think 
that in general, they do very, very good things with microphones and headphones. Uh, I like their transduction technologies, always have. And so I suppose these would probably be really nice for the money. Yeah, I don't know. I, d- I did a project recently where why th- we used a couple. I think we used ribbon mics for a Blumline pair. Um, I'm trying to remember now. It's very hard to remember, which is a kind of stereo technique where you use, uh, is it two figure of eight mics a perpendicular axis, 90 degrees to each other? It's kind of one of the oldest stereo recording methods. And, and I must admit, yes, I mean, it it, while it sounded, it sounded very natural, but it wasn't necessarily what I wanted, I must admit. I don't think I used a great deal of them. But I think ribbons for overheads and what have you is, is certainly one way of looking at it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point, what you're saying about the fact that we're, because we're recording to digital, we sort of need any additional warmth we could possibly get into the system just, just via, you know, the actual sound recording method. That's a great... Well, I've learned this through my input path research that I've been doing. You know, I've been changing around the input paths at the studio at Niles and thinking about what I like about what I've got and what I don't like about what I've got. And I look at what I'm recording to and I say, well, what do I want to put in front of that? Because it's not like I'm not looking over there seeing a Studer A800 Mark III. I'm looking over there, you know, at my my Mac Pro and my uh, digital design interface. And I'm all right. So what do I want to stick into that? And it's not more of that. It's whatever that isn't what I want to try to make before it gets there. Yeah. So that's how it came about. That was the genealogy of my thinking on this. Angus, are you, um, have you got much of a history of actual recording? I mean, is ribbon mic something that you've um, enjoyed using or would like to try? Um, not, not personally. I mean, I, haven't, I don't, again, get much time to do the recording side because my skills are more on the coding. But I, I know that some of our engineers, uh, John Emmerich, who records a lot of the BFD packs, uh, he's, he's a big fan. Uh, he used them on the percussion uh, pack for his overheads. And uh, Platinum Samples, uh, I think it was the Andy Johns. I know there was one of their sessions. They destroyed a couple of rather expensive ribbon mics, I think. I think that was the Andy Johns uh, session, but uh, yeah, I think those were some of the old ones that uh, weren't quite uh, yikes, weren't quite <laughs> weren't quite robust enough. Um, but uh, well, I, suppose I hadn't thought about that because you do a lot of sample stuff. So I mean, mics are actually pretty important to you know one of your one of the threads of your business. Actually, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Well, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, BFD one. Uh, it was kind of one of the things in the in the press release, which funny, funny. A lot of the a lot of the professionals gave us a, a certain amount of of stick for it you know well why are these guys going on about how they've used you know whatever it was i can't remember fifty thousand dollars worth of microphones you know i've got i've got forty thousand dollars worth of microphones in my front room kind of kind of thing but it's like well for a lot of people uh you know they don't have uh you know five figures worth of mics to uh record their drums with or or a room to record them in so kind of getting that all that right is uh you know we're kind of making it accessible to a lot of people. Yes, I'd um, forgot, I'd, I should have put that in your intro, actually, Angus, um, that you also um, make the BFD uh, plugins and libraries, which uh, deserves a little round of applause, I think, from, from all of us here, because I know that we're, yeah, I we've that, all, yeah. we're all fans and have used them. So uh, thank you very much for bringing those into the world. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess now that, um, you know, now you can get, all these nice mics made in China for, you know, 200 bucks and all these, all these crazy prices. Maybe it's, uh, well, you still can't get a nice room made in, in China for 200 bucks. Unless maybe, unless you go to China. Well, that's pretty build. Uh, I'm sure they've got lots of nice you, rooms You could probably China. get them to build their studios for you in uh, somewhere outside uh, Beijing for, you know, 500 bucks or something. Out of bamboo, probably, right? <laughs> Actually, uh, Angus, didn't I see um, in the BFD Volume Two snares? Uh, there's a bamboo there, snare I think in there somewhere. That's in the. Um, Pretty sure I did. The uh, Yamaha snare. Act. Let me just. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is. I think I looked at that and I thought, yeah, really, that the, sounds interesting. Uh, bamboo snare. snares. That's right. Yeah, I thought I saw it. Seen it somewhere. Well, anyway, the AT4080 and the AT4081 uh, feature extremely powerful N50 rare earth neodymium magnets, which uh, sounds very impressive, uh, and provide high output levels. <laughs> and the mic's innovative dual ribbon construction offers increased sensitivity and SPL handling capabilities. And here's the price. 1245 bucks and 895 bucks. So they're not cheap mics, but, you know, not every mic should be cheap. It's just... Oh, I misread can- that then. I was what looking think- at that and I was thinking it was 245 and 895. Ah, sorry, Mark. No, I can, I can see the one in front there now. You're not, ca- you're going to cancel your order now. Uh, well, 
I mean, I'm going to need something I can record the bike with, so hey. Yeah, okay. Well, just maybe you can hire one for that. <laughs> maybe they'll will, lend me one. Will the handy Zoom recorder um, actually take, yeah, or Phantom Power one? It probably will, won't it? Mind you, it the will, battery yeah, will probably go real Phantom quick. It things very well. Well, I, we're um, we're rather disappointingly near uh, or at the end of our topic list. I don't know if anybody else has anything they'd like to add or anything else they want to talk about because um, it sort of feels like we've we got here a bit sooner than I anticipated. Um, I did, and I can't think of what it is. <laughs> ah, you almost could have tied in the Equivel thing to. Uh, use of stereo recording and then you probably could have tied it into the um, ribbon mic thing you're absolutely right i could have couldn't i uh, yeah. but i didn't maybe we could try doing that in retrospect we could well we've only got about 15 minutes i wonder if i could do that i'm not sure i, I haven't got enough because I, I did actually do a bit of research on the esquivel stuff and i couldn't find anything about out about him you know i really wanted to find out about the recording techniques and stuff because they did some really crazy mad stuff as well as this sort of very unusual voicing that he used for all kinds of instruments but it's very unique and uh, unusual sounding i must admit i watched that film and i looked at it and i thought what is the big deal about this and why is nick sent this to me and then i realized that it was from 1962 and it was kind of like Ah, okay. That's right. really groundbreaking. Yeah, astonishing uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk a little about, Nick, is I've taken it upon myself to, uh, as I do with software, uh, dive into using something that I don't know very well uh, and creating a piece of music in it. Okay. And so I've spent uh, some time this week working on a piece in Ableton Live, and it's kind of inspired a sort of... Uh, pulsing synth groove vibe out of me and i'm learning quite a bit about the program and really enjoying working on this piece and really enjoying working in their software though i still don't have a vision of how i'm going to finish it in this software i'm just going to keep moving forward in it and see how things come so you're going to post an mp3 then well when it's maybe in it when it's a little closer to something i'd be proud to show people yeah Okay, we'll look forward to that. Uh, well, I, I suppose I could talk a little bit about what I've, I've been up to this week as well. Um, I'm looking across my desk at a uh, Dave Smith Instruments Tetra, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't had the time to open yet, because uh, in the meantime, I've been working on my Logic 9 review, part one, which took absolutely ages because uh, i'm having all sorts of technical difficulties with my screen capture and audio routing and stuff but um that should be up fairly shortly uh what else has been going on here at sonic towers um <laughs> i was just going to say richard um in terms of uh get it getting stuff finished um i mean obviously i'm working more with uh, guru and uh, and vigil rather than ableton but doing that same kind of like cyclical scene-based loop-based sort of uh, production. Uh, you know, you can rewire it into Pro, into Pro Tools. Um, so you can basically, um, you know, wire Ableton straight into Pro Tools and and track everything out into into Pro Tools and edit it up there or Logic, whatever whatever it is you use. Um, that's, so that's I believe I did. Yeah, I believe I yeah, did. Yeah, I, I find if you want if you want to go from kind of kind of the like cyclical for I don't know that's good for kind of coming up with ideas early on and then more you know, move it more into a kind of linear layout as you want to kind of get things finished. Uh, that's uh, something to check out anyway. Well, yeah, thank you for that. I am primarily a Pro Tools guy. And in the case of the piece I did in Sony's Acid, when I learned that program, I did end up pulling it into Pro Tools to finish the arrangement and mixing. Um, I want to see how far I can get in Ableton. Before, yeah. before I'm trying not to do that too early on because I know I can do that. But I'm trying to force myself to get as close to finished. If I can go all the way through the thing in Ableton, that'll be fine. But if I come to a point where I really want something that I haven't got there, I, I will do, as you've described. And I appreciate you pointing it out. Well, you can, as Rosa points out in the chat room, um, there's a really quite a sort of comprehensive arrange page in Live 2 when you tab it back to the, you know, the, the track list. I don't know if you've been using that at all. Yes, I have. I have. Yes. Hmm. It's it's funny, isn't it? I've been trying to use live a little bit with um, you know when I'm demoing synths and putting little loops together, and it's great for that. But I've been since I've been reviewing uh, Logic, I've really kind of 
realized how much I've been missing that whole linear thing. And, and I have to say, the new features in Logic, I'm really, the work, especially the workflow stuff, I haven't really concentrated on the guitar things. Is really, I've been really impressed with it, actually, really impressed. It's, it's made of, it, it seems, it's like, oh, great, now I can do things easily that were really not very easy to do, uh, and which is it, it's very cool. I really like the elastic audio, the flex time. I think that works. But I, in fact, in the demo, I take an eight-track drum multi and I just line it up, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Is this, real, that's real in logic, is it? Sorry, in logic. Yeah, yeah. So Easy you're peasy. telling me I've got to go and spend money on Logic Nine? Well, no, you don't have to. You don't have to do do whatever you like, Mark. But uh, I'm I'm I just say you know I think it's a, a worthwhile upgrade if you are a Logic user. Mm-hmm. I am a Logic user, and I tend to use Logic for nearly everything. The well, only thing it, I use Pro Tools for is for. Um, chopping stuff up and ed- and I like the way that I can uh break things up into regions and and use that sort of multiple tool for chopping the regions up I find that's much better in pro tools than in logic but mm. have you, you, do you I've been getting into using the marquee tool quite a lot in logic and that's uh, that that's a bit of an eye opener definitely makes it a lot easier for doing that does it yeah well you just drag a region and then you know you split split it or you know key command it or double click where the where it is and it's it's not quite there i mean because i'm used to vegas where you can click on the timeline and that's where your playback head is and you can use the marquee tool in a similar way so you click on the timeline and then your playback from there it works in that way which is something that you know means it's faster to navigate around large arrangements Oh, okay. And the the quick swipe uh, take comping is really cool, actually. I hadn't really got my head around any of that stuff, but that's really fast to use. It's very, very simple. So, uh, but you can check out the review. I've I've just been rendering it this afternoon. In fact, I had to redo it because some of my screen zooms went a bit awry in uh, in one of my other edits. So uh, it should be up in the next couple of days. But uh, uh, tomorrow I'm going to have a short day because uh, I'm off to take my daughter to see Joseph and an amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the local theatre. Ooh. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I've not been enjoying the um, the sort of immersion in Lloyd Webberness for the last couple of days. I have to say, I've realised perhaps that it was a fairly um, rash, rash move to say, uh, you know, I'll 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 come along, but um, maybe I'll take an iPod and listen to something else oh, while that's man. going on. That's, come on, is that really bad of me? Oh yes, oh, I'm sorry. It's beyond. It's beyond the pale. I'm sorry about that. Well, perhaps I'll edit that out so I can come across as a nicer guy than I really <laughs> you can't am. can't do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could, like, take a take an iPhone with some kind of remix tool on it and, you know, do kind of uh, mashups on your headphones on the fly. I don't know. Just, uh, yeah, no, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, I haven't got an iPhone. And, uh... Yeah, no, I could. I think I'll just leave it. Maybe I'll just try and nod off for a bit. See how I go. Just enjoy the ice cream and the drinks at uh, the interval. But anyway, folks, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad the recording at least hasn't broken this week. Um, You'll be pleased to know. And thank you very much in the chat room for joining us. In fact, this week has been probably the biggest ever chat room. So, Angus, I think you brought a load of fans, uh, (laughs) which which has been very, very kind of you. It's all right. Anytime. <laughs> fexpansion.com for all your needs and makers of BFD and other fine Indeed. instruments. Uh, we were talking about Decam Synth Squad, so I hope that goes very well for you. Thank you. And also, uh, thank you very much for Mark Tinney for joining us. Uh, it'd be great to have you aboard. Autismhero.com. Indeed. Ooh. Thank you very much. And also, um, oh yeah, did I say autismhero.com? I did, didn't I? You did. You can say it again, actually. I just did. So twice. I've got this fantastic idea to set up some autistic think tanks. I have another friend with Asperger's and we're going to sit down and solve all the world's problems. I'm serious, actually, because he's he's really, really intelligent. And um, I think if I bat some ideas back and forth with him, like about, you know, political and social reform and those sorts of things, that we might come up with some answers to things that other people may not have thought of. That's the idea anyway. I do hope so. Get a handful of people to do that. We could certainly do with it. Good luck. And Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. He's so cool, isn't he? He does it so smoothly. He's just got a voice for radio. (laughs) It's just perfect. 
Well, and, someone's uh, in the chat room saying no Roland ad, Nick. No, there was no Roland ad. Um, that uh, has come to an end. And we hope to be joined by another advertiser next week who's uh, jumping in, um, been waiting uh, in queue to get a slot on the show. So anyway, that was Sonic Talk number 149. Next week is 150. It feels like it should be some sort of uh, milestone. So uh, I'm not sure what we'll do. I don't know if we'll do anything special or not. It's always special anyway for me. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play us out. Uh, there was, um, I think we mentioned it uh, briefly a couple of weeks ago, there was a Roy, a Roy Sop, uh Tricky Tricky Remix competition, and people um, were saying they had loads of trouble. They just couldn't get anything to fit. The vo- vocal was too difficult. And uh, But this one from Grodio is available on SoundCloud and is a Scar version. So I'm just going to play us out with that.